Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Cinephiles. I am Steve Morris, here with my partner, John Rocco. Hello. And John, we lost another important director, and that is William Friedkin passed away today. Yeah. And we wanted to just take a moment to honor him. What a, what a legacy William Friedkin li- uh, leaves behind passing away at this late age, you know, uh, pretty much relevant through the 70s, but still... Even now, as we're on the precipice of a new Exorcist movie coming out later on this year, in the on the 50th anniversary of that film coming out, his movies still are a topic of conversation. And the one we're doing the introduction for today is no different, as we saw some uh, censorship issues arise from this movie um, recently on the Criterion Collection channel and other places. Um, and that tells you that the power of his films still endure all these decades later uh french connection is such i think that is a turning point Mm. in filmmaking wins the best picture in 1971 it is a groundbreaking movie in every way i don't think movies ever look the same after the french connection it just opens up so many different possibilities for ways to make films and i wanted to you know i looked into a little bit about mr friedkin's biography He was born in Chicago in 1935. His parents are Jewish immigrants from the Ukraine, fleeing anti-Semitism. The guy decided he wanted to be in the film world pretty young after seeing Citizen Kane, ended up in the mailroom of WGN-TV right after high school. Oh, Chicago. Yeah, in Chicago. He made his first documentary in 1962, and that's really what he was. He was a TV documentary guy, and he's one of these guys. He's a little bit later than, like, Sidney Lumet, but along with John Frankenheimer and a bunch of other directors that came out of that live TV television world to make their way into film. Yeah, I mean, listen, to the, the, the list of his films from the 70s are fascinating because you look at the boys in the band. That's 1970, dealing with homosexual topics in that film. Then the French connection that next year dealing with police and dealing with this drug uh, thing that was becoming a big deal in our streets in the early seventies there, the exorcist, one of the iconic horror films, then sorcerer, which is really a film that has a niche audience that people love. They love sorcerer. And then we get into cruising, which is Pacino's film also coming back to deal with the idea of homosexuality and the bars that are going on in this subculture that was being explored. Then he does To Live and Die in L.A., which is an iconic film from the 1980s. And by the time we get towards the end, we have a little Blue Chips action, which is still a sports film that many basketball lovers cite. He does a remake of First Blood, in essence, in The Hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio mm. Del Toro. Mm-hmm. And one of the last great um, films that he does is Killer Joe, which I think is a fantastic showcase for Matthew McConaughey and arguably kicks off the, Maca- the uh, McConaissance um, going back to these independent films for McConaughey and reestablishing himself as an actor. So just an interesting director who his heyday was definitely in the 70s, but was still relevant all the way uh, into the 2000s, uh, 2010s. It's so funny because he's, you know, we had, there are a lot of directors where the these arrogant, bossy, mm. I know what's best kind of people. And he is among my least favorite of them. <laughs> like, I just, having heard him interviewed a bunch. Oh, yeah, he's very aware of himself, yes. Yeah, and he just rubs me the wrong way in the way he talks. <laughs> and it's so funny, because it's like, look, there's Ridley Scott, there's James Cameron, there's yeah. Kubrick. They're all these directors who really push people around and and are yeah. very arrogant. 
And <laughs> just, I feel terrible because we're tr- giving a tribute to the guy. He just passed away. But Friedkin's kind of my least favorite of them. I, I like, you know, it's, it's funny. I remember French Connection might be the, which we're talking about today. Yeah. French Connection might be the first movie that you and I did where I said something that I would say many times later on. And you said a few times too, which is, it's not really my movie. Like, I appreciate why French Connection is so important, but I don't connect with it as much, even though the performance from Gene Hackman, the performance from Roy Scheider, just the whole way the movie is put together is it, it is objectively an amazing and important film. Yeah. And and I still love it. It still works know, for yeah. me. And, uh, you know, it's a gritty, dirty approach to the real stuff that was going on in the 1970s. And you know, trying to censor that one N word in near the beginning of the movie. And it's like, no, you're taking away the whole thing that freaking was trying to do with this movie was to show you this guy who was an imperfect hero in the 1970s when the imperfect hero was starting to become much more of the commonplace thing in entertainment. So I love this movie for that. And also the relationship with him and Roy Scheider is yeah. kind of bromance in a way in how they're interacting with these things. You could argue that those two are laying the groundwork for what we're going to see later in the buddy cop movies that are played for much more laughs and tongue in cheek. But you could argue that's where that comes from seeing the interactions between Roy Scheider and Hackman and in a brilliant way, as it does at the end, the villain doesn't get a comeuppance. And I yeah. think that's such a genius thing to have in a movie like The French Connection. So it's one of the reasons why it still endures. And and I hear you about William, but look, he married Sherry Lansing as well, the head of Paramount. So, I mean, like the guy's got the guy's got cockiness for days and he backs it up. So, I mean, I, he may rub you the wrong way, but he certainly accomplished a lot of things. So, no, it's it's, abs- it's, it's funny, too, because I here I am. I'm. I'm rethinking a little bit what I just said because this yeah. thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, and it applies to the French Connection, is the tendency today is you do one thing wrong and that's it for you. Like that's sort of how <laughs> right. we look at the you know things are very binary. Yeah, and Popeye Doyle ain't binary. No, like here's a character where you can admire him for his tenacity. Like the guy is not going to quit. He is obsessed. You can hate him for the racism. You could feel really sorry for him, for the alcoholism and for the loneliness of him. And you could feel all these complicated emotions and still be rooting for him to get the bad guy. Yeah. You know, and I think like we need to be able to look at the world. Not that I want to live in the fucking world of Popeye Doyle. And I definitely (laughs) like the world of New York at that time, which was just so much crime and I'm not saying that we should go back to that but I am saying that being able to look at a complicated nuanced character like this is really good for us to have this kind of a film yeah agreed uh, I mean and he took two genres and completely turned them around in horror with the Exorcist and in the French connection um in terms of action movies so I mean it's it's an incredible legacy to look back on and it's ironic because um he was inspired by Citizen Kane and by Orson Welles to become a film director. And now he has inspired so many people to become directors because of his work in the 1970s. So it's great stuff to look back on, even though, you know, he may not be a cup of tea overall. Um, You can't argue the man's uh, uh, abilities and legacy here still resonating all these years later. No, he is one of the seminal voices, particularly Mm. of those early 70s years. I mean, that's where he's just killing it. And so I think without further ado, uh, we at the Cinephiles are very proud to represent our exploration of the French Connection. Oh, 
Alright, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your heads. Get off the bar and get on the wall. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello everyone again. This is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of numerous shows, including this one, and, uh, and occasionally an actor. I had a film that just came out whenever this comes. It came out a few weeks ago, I guess, whenever we dropped this episode. And you can go see it if you want to see me do terrible acting. Uh, it's called You Can't Have It. Uh, Joanna Krupa, Armand Asante, Rob Gronkowski, and a number of people are in it. And you can and directed by a buddy of yours. Directed right? by my friend Andre Gordon. Yeah, starring my friend uh, Matt Polkamp, who's really great, and my friend Dade Elza, who's fantastic in the film. I am horrible, so you can go and see me do silent movie acting in a in a talking film. But you know, have fun. I I, I haven't seen it, but as always, I cannot imagine being horrible. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> well, the movie we're talking about today is certainly not horrible. No, uh, it is the French Connection, directed by William Friedkin, yeah. starring Gene Hackman, Roy Scheider. Uh, it's 1971, mm -hmm. and uh, this is a groundbreaking film. Is this our first Friedkin? This is our first Friedkin, Okay, yeah. so we haven't done Exorcist yet. No. Which we will have to do at some point. We've oh, talked yeah. about that. Yes, definitely. But, okay, so yes. Yeah, so Although this Exorcist is... scares the crap out of me. Me too. Like that, so so just briefly, just because you brought it up. <laughs> yes. It came out, I think I was like five. Oh, okay. And I remember the commercials on TV, mm -hmm. and the commercials were so scary that I left the room. If the oh, commercial wow. came up, wow. and I didn't see that movie until I was in my twenties. Yeah, me too. Because it was just I was too too terrified. Of there it. are two films that were never allowed to be screened in my house growing up: uh -huh. uh, Rosemary's Baby, yes, and The Exorcist. It, to this day, I've still never seen Rosemary's Baby, but I've seen The Exorcist a few times. And it is a scary, in, including the extended edition, which yeah. is even scarier because it has that spider crawl down Ro the stairs. Ro Rosemary's Baby is not as scary as The Exorcist, although it's deeply unsettling. Okay. And it's not surprising, I mean, you know, Catholic upbringing. And, right. I mean, it scared the crap out of a Jewish kid. It's really going to scare <laughs> the crap out of a Catholic kid. It's true. But we are not talking about no, The Exorcist no. today. We're talking about the French Connection. John, when did, how did you first come to this film? Uh, I think I came to this uh, probably on some uh, Saturday afternoon, as I said before on this podcast numerous times. Uh, in Virginia slash Washington, D.C., we had Metro Media 5 and WDCA Channel 20, and they would show old films in the afternoons, and that's when I became, like, a really, became, and discovered my love of films, watching those, and I think The French Connection was something I saw. I remember watching it some after, and I remember it, the ending really affecting me because there is no resolution. Right. And it, and I remember... Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, spoiler right. If you haven't seen the movie, why are you listening? And if you, ha if you go see this movie first. Well, actually, that's something I want to bring up, because yeah. what we've heard from our Twitter followers yes. is there are some people who go, they see that we're doing a podcast and they go out and buy the movie right. so they can watch it before hearing us. Right. And there's some people who said they really enjoyed listening to us first and then going to see the movie. That's fantastic. And I'm kind of curious if you want to let us know, which one Which one are you? Like, yeah. what's your experience? And, and it, might, it helps us too in figuring out well, what? How are we doing this for, and who are we trying to talk to? Right, right. So anyway, so you, yeah, you so, went to so see it. yeah, so and I and I remember being very and I became a massive Gene Hackman fan, you know, from that movie, I believe, and then seeing subsequently Side Adventure and all these other films that he was in that I really enjoyed. And I, I will always champion Gene Hackman. I think he's one of my favorite actors. Period. And this film, he's so so dynamic, and he's forty one. Oh yeah, making this film, still not a star. And 41 years old, still not a star. Well, he's about to when, be one. Yeah, he's about to be one off this film, and so it's it's a fantastic. one. I remember the grittiness of it. I remember all the, of course, the action sequence, the car chase, which is amazing. All of it was so just brutal and in your face, uh, and there was no like moment of 
softness in the in the entire film, and it's powerful in that way. Um, for me, and this is going to surprise you, yeah, this is not my movie. It hasn't wow. been one. It's not one I've gone back to. I think okay. I saw it the first time maybe in college, okay, and then I saw it again maybe twenty years ago. Wow, I've seen it many, many, many and times. That's yeah. it. Wow, you know, and I've seen, of course, the chasing because sure, it's sure. in all sorts of retrospectives yeah, and clips and clips, little, yeah. and you know, I've seen that over and over again. I certainly know about the movie. Right. I appreciate why the movie's important. It was never one that drew me back. And I got to tell you, watching it this time, yeah. I once again appreciate so much about this film, <laughs> but I don't go like, and I'm going to watch it again. Wow. And I don't know, and, and I, you know, this is something maybe came up, I think, with The Searchers, mm -hmm. is, is, and I think The Searchers is more my film than this one is even. Yeah. And, and it's strange because I love the 70s. I love Gene Hackman. Right. I love so much of what the film is. And it's not, I don't know. Um, but there's certainly a lot to talk about. It's because it. you're a police chief, man. What's happening? I'm the renegade cop. You're the police chief because <laughs> you like things right. in a certain order. You like things to be done a certain way. Yeah, you're, that's you're, true. It, and that's just the way you are. So you probably felt more for the police chief trying to control Popeye Doyle than you do for Gene Hackman. And you I, might even feel more for Roy Scheider, who is still trying oh, to control I definitely Gene Hackman. Do, I definitely feel for Roy Scheider. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, having, having, having been like a calm person trying to <laughs> yeah, right. navigate stuff. Yeah. Was, was, I'm, I'm, I gravitate more towards characters like the like John Wayne in The Searchers, like uh, Popeye Doyle in... in yeah, in it's a good point. And it doesn't mean that you don't like anti-heroes. You do like anti-heroes, but in, in a certain way, like yeah. in a certain construct. Well, this is a chaotic and difficult movie. It really is. It really is. Mm -hmm. So let's get in a little bit okay. of the background. Sure. So first of all, this is based on a true story. Yes. And, and in researching about this movie, I can't think of another movie where the real people who experience this are as involved yeah. as they are in this. And acting in it. And acting in it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. quite amazing. So there's there's um, uh, Sonny Russo and Eddie Egan. Eddie Egan is Popeye Doyle. Yes. Uh, and his nickname was Popeye. Yep. And uh, they did bust what was the largest heroin bust in history in yep. the early 60s. And then there was this... And they were apparently the top narcotics cops mm -hmm. like they would bring in a thousand criminals a year wow i mean it was like this huge number that was above and beyond anybody else right and eddie egan was this larger than life drunk difficult yeah angry obsessive character mm -hmm. i mean he really was this kind of guy and they the book the french connection had been written about them and they really were involved in the whole writing of the book mm -hmm. uh, they didn't write the book and then um the, the rights were bought, and they were involved in the whole process of making the movie. I mean, mm -hmm. they were there on the set every single day. In fact, Eddie Egan is the one who plays the commissioner. He's yeah, he's and, the and Lieutenant gets, Simpson or whatever. His who name gets is. shot at the end, right? That's him, isn't that? Or is that the police chief? Is that the police chief? So the FBI guy is the guy who gets shot at oh, the end. Oh right, yeah, yeah. The he other plays guy who's Lieutenant Simpson or who's whatever. constantly giving him shit. Yeah, in and the back the way, seat. He's yeah. a great actor. He's a great actor in he's, this film, and which is interesting because what. Uh, Sonny Russo, who's the other guy, yeah. who's the Roy Scheider character, who went on to be a TV producer, by the way. Mm. Um, uh, what he said is that it was all acting. Yeah, that it was what well, the hard thing was figuring out who the real Eddie Egan is because he right. was always he's one of these guys who has this huge personality, yeah. and his personality as a cop, well, that was an act, right, to some degree. And what degree it is, we don't ever get to. We don't really get to know, right? As with the best ones, you don't yeah. really know. Um, so uh, the rights are gotten by Phil D'Antoni, okay. uh, who produced Bullet. Oh, wow. So he obviously had experience with uh, car chases. Right. Like probably the best car chase before the French Connection <laughs> right, is, is the in Bullet. Bullet. Yeah. And that's, so, so that's one of the things he was drawn to. Hires William Freakin. Freakin, this is really his first real yeah. film. And he is a TV guy who really did documentaries. Mm -hmm. He did all these sort of aggressive like, you know, prisoner on death row and right. 
TV documentaries. He had a very kind of gonzo style mm -hmm. um, in the 50s and the 60s. And him, them taking a gamble on him, really. A fairly low-budget movie. Yeah. They went after a bunch of different actors before mm -hmm. Gene Hackman, like Jackie Gleason. Yes. Can you imagine? No, that's a whole other film. It's a, it's a whole, whole, other film. whole other thing. The first person they offered it to is Peter Boyle. Yeah. Which I can see. And yeah. Peter Boyle had just had a hit with another movie. Yeah, and Joe. He, it, with Joe. Yeah. yeah. And he went off and said, well, I want to do more romantic leads. <laughs> Peter Boyle. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Boyle. Peter Boyle. Look, who played Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein. I love Peter Boyle. Yeah, I love he him is to death. a great actor, but I think he made a strange choice. Yes. And Gene Hackman, he Gene Hackman is a working actor yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Uh, he's a Midwestern guy. He grew up, one of his friends was Dick Van Dyke. Yes. Which is sort of interesting. And then his two best buddies are Dustin Hoffman and Robert Duvall. Yep. And they are working New York actors mm -hmm. who are on television. And, the you know, Mary Doherty is the big casting director, really liked them and kept right. putting them in things. Right. And Gene Hackman is working and working and working and not a star. Right. And by the way, casting by is Fantastic a great documentary, documentary that you should watch about casting. And Mary Doherty is featured throughout that whole Heavily, uh, yeah. and talks about how she cast people like Hackman and Duvall and Pacino out of the 70s scene that was happening on stage at the time. Because she was interested in these unusual, mm -hmm. not leading man, mm -hmm. different kind of intense people. Right, and we should talk about this because the 70s, the cinema of the 70s was not about pretty people for the most part. No. It was about the grittier, because of the post-Vietnam stuff, it was all about discovering the gritty underbelly of these uh, tent poles in our society, these you know, police, uh, military, government, it was exposing these kinds of things. And so you had to see the uglier side of all these parts of our society that we had always taken for granted as being utopian, protective of us, and, and you know, couldn't possibly be corrupt. And Nixon and Watergate, Vietnam, all these things in the late 60s into the 70s conspired to create this taste in the American public to see these kinds of things portrayed in their films. And French Connection does that. Well, absolutely. And there are all these things. It's conspiring together is the right thing. Yeah. You also have things like the French New Wave and European yes. cinema. And all of them are uh, tackling issues and humanity in the way yeah. that, that we're not doing in the United States. Right. And our movies start to look kind of stale and yes. old-fashioned and, yeah. and, and lifeless. And, and I, I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the things I want to talk about is this movie, more than any that I can think of, is that seems to be the final death nail of uh, nail of the production code. Oh. Is that we talked about a little bit? We talked about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, right. and that was one of the first movies that had swearing, and yeah. they released it outside of the code. Um, and then you have things like Bonnie and Clyde, which is where Gene Hackman really—that's yeah. where he really kind of had a star turn, and yeah. people realized, oh, this is an interesting actor. And and the violence and the sexuality of that kind of kind of really pushed it out. And then this is what killed it. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up that I think is so interesting mm -hmm. is when we think of the production code and the rating system, we think about basically three things, which is words yeah swear words violence yeah and sex and sex yeah okay and 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 obviously those are things that we wanted to do more more mature mm -hmm. stories and be having people say fuck and shit mm -hmm. and all those things what's interesting to me is there are other elements of the code that we don't really talk about and one of them is that authority figures were not supposed to do evil things wow that was part of the code so you can't have a policeman or a mayor or a president do things that are morally questionable hmm. unless the purpose of the film was for them to have a comeuppance so unless wow. at the end they were punished for their sins okay is that another one is that people cannot use drugs or alcohol to become intoxicated Right. Okay. Is that you could show someone drinking, but you couldn't show, and you couldn't show them enjoying being drunk. 
um, is that people couldn't do things out of sexual desire. They could only mm-hmm. do things out of romantic desire. Oh. And so all of these, Interesting. these, these are all content things right? and kind of all of them get blown away in French connection. Yes. Is that, is that, that it's not just that they can swear and yeah. that there's violence or there, not that there's nudity in this film, but it's the whole nature of the kind of story you can tell is different yeah. when you get out of that, that code mm-hmm. that went from the, you know, the thirties through the late sixties. Right. That's and I fantastic. think that's really important in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it explains why something like Midnight Cowboy and Last Tango in Paris. Exactly. Were outside of the code and considered X-rated films or non-rated films. Right. Right. Because you just couldn't do those things. Right. Exactly. Um, one of those movies I like. One of those movies I have no interest in at all. I've never seen Last Tango in Paris. That's the one I, I've seen it. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'll it. ever see that film. Well, and, maybe if we do it for the cinephiles, I might see I, it. But I, I have no interest in it. Yeah. And well, okay. now that I found out certain stuff about it, that's right, really course, horrible. And it's like, no, we right. I, best we not to do that. Fair yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's move into the movie. I love how we just did that. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Right. <laughs> okay. Here, John and Steve grumble on the cinephiles. <laughs> it is um, mandated. One, yeah. one of the, one of the reasons <clears throat> that uh, Phil Detoni, De, De whatever his name is, whatever these. <laughs> One of the reasons that the producer picked Freakin was because he liked the documentary aspect. Okay. And their choice in making the movie was to shoot it documentary style. Yeah. Like the way Friedkin set up this shoot. Oh, yeah. By the way, real quick. Friedkin was convinced to do the film. But he was dating Howard Hawks' daughter at the time. Oh, I didn't know this. Yes. And Howard Hawks, he went to Howard Hawks and said, hey, they offered this film. Should I do this film? What do you think of my films? And Howard Hawks says, your films suck. Like he said, your film suck. This is, he did this in, a, in an interview. I think it's on one of the DVDs. Uh, and he and he, and then he said, but what you can do is direct the best action sequence that's ever been directed, and then you'll make a name for yourself. Huh. And so he took on this man because you're right. There, it was a low budget film. They couldn't afford everybody. Like they wanted Steve McQueen, couldn't afford him. Right. Lee Marvin didn't want to do it because oh, I didn't he, know that. yeah, that's because he he was like because he hates cops. Like Lee Marvin was well known for hating the military and hating cops, which is why when he played these characters, he always played it so that they would expose the underbelly of the organizations right. they were a part of. And he didn't see that with Popeye Doyle. All right, so we started Marseille. And one of the interesting things you find out right away, this movie's not going to spoon feed you anything. Nope. Yeah, it's, you're just in here. You don't know what's going on. Better pay you attention. You these people. You got to pay attention to don't what's happening. Don't be playing happening. on Twitter, on your Instagram, or on your, <laughs> when you're watching this movie, like you got to watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, you got to pay a lot of attention. We see there's an assassination. Yes. We don't particularly know why. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we go to uh, Brooklyn. And we see this guy in a Santa Claus suit. Um, and uh, and again, we don't get to know what's going on. Yeah. We see Roy Scheider go into this bar and aggressively in this really, like the, the scariness kind of of the situation they're mm-hmm. in is fairly intense. Mm-hmm. Chase this guy out. He gets cut with a knife. We yeah. chase him down through, and we got to say, New York in the late 60s, early 70s. That's a scary place. Well, listen, I think New York is still a scary place. <laughs> Nothing like it was then. But that, yeah, I mean, the, the freedom with which what they could do uh, with suspects, with people they caught. Well, it's scary in both ways because like the, and we've seen crime statistics lately that have been yeah. misquoted, yeah. but uh, there was a huge crime wave in the late 60s and yeah. early 70s. Right. And the, the murder rates were really, really insane. And when yeah. they have that shot down the alley and there's just something on fire and it's garbage everywhere and that's what was going on then. Yeah, yeah. That world isn't this way now. Right. And as you say, the police brutality is really really scary unsettling i mean the way they beat him they beat the guy up once they catch him like it's almost a like a beating like you would see sure. a rodney king type beating they're just they just keep punching and kicking him and whatever and then eventually throw him up against the wall and start asking him questions playing the, the an extreme version of the good cop bad cop hey, 
Give me. Come hey, on, give me. Let me bust one. I want to bust you. I want to bust you. Oh. Let me talk oh, to him. Let me talk to him. You got a friend Just here, buddy. You got a friend. You gonna tell us who your man is? When's the last time you picked the feet, Willie? Who's your connection, Willie? What's his name? What? Answer him. So when they're and when they're interrogating this guy, they uh, Popeye Doyle keeps asking, "Have you ever picked your toes in Poughkeepsie?" Yes. Hey, shithead. When's the last time you picked your feet? Huh? Yeah, what's he talking about? I've got a man in Poughkeepsie who wants to talk to you. You ever been in Poughkeepsie? Huh? Have you ever been Poughkeepsie? Hey, man, come on, give me a break. Hey, I don't know what you're on, talking about. Let me hear you say it. Come on. Have you ever been Poughkeepsie? You've been in Poughkeepsie, haven't you? I want to hear it. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. I've, I've You've been, been there, right? Yeah, yeah. You sat on the edge of the bed, didn't you? You took off your shoes, put your finger between your toes and picked your feet, didn't you? So I found out what that is. Uh, which is apparently this is really something that Eddie Egan would ask. Oh, that was a regular thing that he would ask. And what it was was there had been a famous rape in Poughkeepsie, <laughs> and in the rape, the rapist had picked his toes, sat on the edge of the bed, and picked his toes while the victim was still lying on a bed. Oh. And horrible, horrible story. Right. And so what he was doing was he was scaring the 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 person he's interrogating yeah. by asking them about this much worse crime. Yeah. So that they were so frightened that they would get caught as this rapist, which they weren't, right. that they would admit what they had done to Sonny, to the right. partner. So it's this strange version of good good cop, bad cop, and also this just sort of surreal distraction yeah. under stress that he would do to the person he's interrogating yeah. to get them to admit what they had done. Psychological, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so weird. It's just such a weird, weird thing to bring up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and what's interesting, that sh first scene where Gene Hackman wants to hit him and there's yeah. like this interrogation, they tried shooting that right at the beginning of the shoot and Gene Hackman really couldn't do it. Yeah. And he had real trouble with it. And he kind of was like, I, you know, I think they're going to fire me and maybe I shouldn't do this role. Mm -hmm. And uh, the real Popeye Doyle's on set yeah. and just goes, who is this guy? Like, he's not, he's not me. Let me play the part. Yeah. You know, I'll do it. Which is valid. Um, and by the time they come around, they do scene, shoot that scene again near the yeah. end of the movie. Hackman was there. Right. He got there. It took a yeah. little while. Well, I would imagine so. And he said that he was really uncomfortable saying some of the dialogue that he has to say, yeah. like some of the dirty dialogue, some of the racist, you know, racist stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was really hard for him, you know? So that speaks to the, to the who he is as a character, but also like creating that character, what it took out of him to create that character. Yeah. You know? That's a rough guy to be in, yes. Popeye Doyle. Yes. Not a redeeming characteristic within that guy other than he's, he's a really good, good cop. He's a good cop. But he is like, he seduces, he like seduces women. He, he, he's derogatory about how he speaks with them, you know, speaks about them. He's He uses the N-word. He's like aggressively pursuing this situation to the expense of other people. It's alluded to later on in the film when he gets with that Eddie with Eddie Egan's character that something had happened in an investigation in past, that cost yeah. the life of a cop that this guy won't let him go about, you know, so And he doesn't seem to show a lot of regret. Not at all. You know? Not at all. Um and it's interesting so so Roy Scheider asks Sonny Russo, the real partner, yeah. like how did you cuz they were partners for 15 years wow. and no one had ever been Eddie Egan's partner that long. Right. He ran through partners like no one could stand. I'm sure. And he said, "How did you, uh, how did you stay partners with this guy so long?" And Sonny Russo's answers was, "He was my partner. If I didn't love him, who would?" Right. You know. That's and fair. and Roy went, "I got it." <laughs> and there's this moment, like after they bring this guy yeah. in, that that Roy's like, "Okay," and he's been wounded, and he's yeah. like, "Okay, I'm gonna go home and go to bed." And Popeye Dog goes, "Come on out. Let's go to a club. Let's yeah. go do this thing." And they're at a club, and there they see this guy who seems to be getting a lot of money, and yeah. You see that moment of instinct with Popeye Doyle, and 
He goes, okay, let's go follow him. And it's like, I haven't been to bed. Like that. <laughs> and they end up going all night. And apparently this is what they did over and over again. Over wow. again. Popeye Doyle was never, Eddie Egan, the real guy, yeah. was never not on the job. Wow. He was drunk and would be up all night drinking. And then he's on the job. And then he's up all night doing the job and up all day doing the job Good and God. drinking and just never stopped. No wonder he was difficult to work with. Really difficult. Constantly moody. Um, so then, as you say, we go back to Marseille. We meet his... Well, we're introduced first to Fernando Rey, who will be our villain. Oh, you're right. right? Yeah. In Marseille. Like he's, and he's got this young wife. Girlfriend? Uh, it looks like his wife. Wife? Probably girlfriend, wife. Something that is... Because he mentions his daughter. Yeah. And, you know, she mentions, like, uh, she wants to know if we're still happy, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a very sweet moment between them. But then again, you realize this guy is the main villain. This guy's going to be your main villain uh, to a degree because the way they're playing right. portraying. And... She brings out the jacket that is going to be his the jacket yeah, that is elegant. Yeah, the, yeah, and it characterizes the character, like right. it characterizes him throughout the first, two, throughout this movie and the sequel as well. That and the cane and the, yeah, the, the facial cane. hair. And, I and the I've hats. never seen the sequel. You never seen the sequel? Yeah. Oh, it's an interesting sequel. It's obviously it's not as good as the first right. one, but it and it's a total fabrication from right. beginning to end. Um, but an interesting film. Because the real guy, the real French guy, yeah, uh, he was a buddy, grew up with Charles de Gaulle, yes, and was an actual resistance fighter against the Nazis, mm-hmm. and like a you know a fairly big hero that became this really big drug dealer, um, yes, which is sort of which none of that's in the movie, right? It's sort of interesting about the real guy, yeah. So we go off on this big stakeout, yes. following this guy around, and again, the movie is not spoon feeding you nope. anything. And I was what I was thinking watching it this time was I went, this is almost like the first procedural. Mm, you know what I mean? Good point. Like where it's really interested in how do the cops do what they do? Yeah. And how what, what is the process? Right. And they make it very real. There's nothing romantic about this no. stakeout. It's, yeah. it's boring and it's cold and it mm-hmm. takes a long time and you don't know what you're going to get. But once again, the derogatory comments, all this stuff going in, you know, they're commenting about the people they're watching, you know, yeah. and they're looking at these kinds of things. And we get introduced to Tony Lobianco playing that character. Right. Really great actor, Tony Lobianco. Really great character actor showing up in multiple, multiple movies and, and, and TV shows. And so I love that we have these characters and they pick the right actors, you know, to put these situations into motion so that we can follow them through this process. And what's interesting, so so Friedkin doesn't storyboard. That's not his style. Okay. What he likes to do is, which I, I actually would really recommend for filmmakers, is that what he does is he goes to the location with his DP on it to scout it out. Yeah. And then walks through the shots with the DP and figures uh, it out on the set. Okay. But then the other interesting thing that he does yeah. is that, which I've never heard of anyone ever doing, is he does a rehearsal with the actors. Yeah. And he has the gaffer who's the guy in charge of lighting light the set. Okay. But he doesn't let the camera operator in the room. Wow. And so what he did and and the camera operator he's using is a guy who had done all sorts of documentaries, did documentaries in Cuba during the revolution and it's a real documentary guy. And so what he did was they rehearsed the scene. The scene is everything's lit. Invite the camera operator in and have him just shoot without knowing what's going to happen. Right. And so he's following it like a documentary. <laughs> so he's trying to figure out what to shoot and what to shoot. And that's part of what gives it that documentary feel. Right. That seems really hard to do. Um, yeah. But it does. This movie doesn't look like anything else. No. And you know what's interesting? Throughout the whole film, he doesn't always have the permits for the stuff that he's shooting. He doesn't no. always have permission to do the stuff that he's doing. And especially when we get to the car chase scene, there are certain moments that are that are really happening yeah. as opposed to mapped out. And so this is, and also this is a kind of the Wild West kind of filmmaking too from the 70s as well, this idea of realism, this gritty realism, trying to achieve that any way possible. And 
they certainly do that in this film on numerous occasions. And sometimes risking a lot of people's lives yes. to do it, which yeah. we're going to get into when we get to that chase. Yeah. Um, so we're staking out this candy store restaurant right. and trying to figure out, are they dealing drugs? Are they not? How right. is this working? <clears throat> and again, it's not spoon feeding you anything. Nope. You're just observing. I love the scene, by the way, where Roy Scheiders goes in yeah. and is actually talking to the girl and trying to kind yeah. of make a date with her. Make a, Have her wear the dress or whatever, yeah. model the dress or whatever. It's yeah. a great, great little scene. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. So now we're going to go and roust out this bar. Yeah. All right, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your heads. Get off the bar and get on the wall. Come on, move. Move. Hey, you dropped that. Pick it up. Pick it up. Come on, move. What are you looking at? All right, bring it here. Get your hands out of your pockets. What's my name? Doyle. What? Mr. Doyle. Come here. You pick your feet. This seems crazy to me. Why? Well, the arrogance of the guy walking into this bar with all of these criminals, because they sure seem like they're all criminals. Yeah. He doesn't pull a gun out or anything. No. Nope. Just says, Popeye's here. Yeah. And just all of the, and all of the drugs and mm -hmm. all the stuff that pops out of people's pockets. Right. Yeah. That they drop as they're walking to be uh, put against the wall. Yeah. They drop on purpose, so there's not right. all found on their persons. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, there's a racial element in this scene sure, that I course. don't quite know how to feel about. You know, it's the 70s and it was that time and he's that kind of thing. But, like, they were trying to get to the black undercover cop. That's what they were trying to do. To So they rousted everybody. Is he an undercover cop? I thought he, I always thought he was just an informant. No, he's, I thought he was an undercover cop. Mm. It seemed like he was an undercover cop because the way they communicate with each other. Right. He doesn't treat him like an informant, like, you know, like submissive to dominant it's more mm. colleague like in their conversation yeah. so in my mind it seemed like they were he was an undercover cop there and he's like how you doing man how's it going blah 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 hey get this number where do you want the punch like right. you know what i'm saying and so it, it felt to me like he was undercover. which cop. by the way that where do you want it that's a thing that's kind of become a cliche i think yeah that you've seen a lot of other and this is you know this is where this comes from right right by the way one other thing all those guys in that scene those are all cops <laughs> they're all real new york cops that's and awesome. that eddie and sonny brought in oh that's to great play out that scene that's perfect yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we fought, we're slowly piecing together this mystery of this heroin situation. What Tony Lobianco's character has to do with this? While we're slowly piecing together on the other side, the French stuff that's happening because you have him like trying to recruit this TV personality to be part of this. When he's talking to right. his number one henchman, and he's recruiting this TV personality. He's going to use this TV personality because apparently this TV personality needs money, right. and so he's using him to transport the heroin into the states in his car that he is bringing over on a ship. You know, so we're discovering all this stuff. So the pieces together are happening on one side of the of the right. of the, of the uh, world, and the other pieces are coming together on the other side of the world. And Popeye Dole is like he thinks he's going to have is a small bust, and it's the bust is becoming bigger, bigger and, bigger. and bigger. Yeah, you know, what just occurred to me as you were saying that. Yeah, is that we talked about how this film isn't spoon feeding you any information. Right. Is that what occurred to me is that as you're trying to figure things out. That's what Eddie Egan is doing. Yes. That's what that's what Popeye Doyle is doing. Yeah. Is that is that we have a hunch. Mm -hmm. We know something is happening. Right. We don't know what that thing. We don't know what that car is. Right. We don't know what this TV guy is trying to do. Yeah. We don't know the connection between the French guys and the guys that we're following. Mm -hmm. But we know that there is a French, French connection. connection. Boom, nailed it. Um, <laughs> but we don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. And that's sort of where Popeye Doyle is. Yeah. Is sort of just figuring. There's something happening. I don't know what it is. And the great films that have these kinds of mysteries make you feel that way, make you feel that you're discovering it along with the character, and it's awesome because you feel like you're just as intelligent as the character because if the character can't figure it out, 
I can't figure it out, then we're going to figure it out together. Right. You know, it feels like you're becoming part of the protagonist's story. As, a fo- as opposed to, and here are all the clues, right. and this is, and Sherlock Holmes is going to, exp- like, in right. a Sherlock Holmes story, he knows everything, and yes. you know nothing. And right. then he figures it out, and then he'll explain to you how exactly. he figured it out. Exactly. This is not that. This is you're in there with them trying yep. to figure it out. Right. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Um, we we do meet uh, the real Eddie Egan for the first time. Yes. He's a lieutenant, kind of comes down on. It's obvious that Popeye Dole is not the most popular guy. Right. And then there's this shot. And I think this shot is so important in the movie, which is that it's morning and Popeye Dole is sort of waking up in a bar. Yes. From being drunk. Yeah. And that is a weird moment in a movie. Yeah. Because what is that saying to you? He's been there all night. Yeah. That, and that, like, this is his life. Yeah. Like, there's the guy has no real life. Even when he has that seduction of the girl riding the bike, which is really creepy and weird because she's a young girl, uh, and the cuffs and all that, it's this. these are just interludes. Uh, but his real life is falling asleep at a bar every night, you know, waking up, going right to the job, doing the job, falling asleep at a bar, doing the job. Some people, some men really are built this way. And I've, I've come across a few of them in the military. This is their lives, man. Drinking, doing the job, drinking, doing the job, drinking. I'm not one of those guys, but I've experienced that on numerous occasions with certain people. I, I certainly like a drink. Sure. I, 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 I enjoy it. Well, some people don't. Okay, so, um, all right, fine. Um, uh, their loss. But yes, go ahead. I yes. certainly enjoy that. But the idea of drinking alone all night mm-hmm. in a bar mm-hmm. and to and, and and even just what's the bartender doing when you're kind of out at the bar well, what can you do he's a cop you can't I, do anything i guess that's a good point right you can and do then just getting up and going to work and then doing it again and right. then as you say we get this very strange pickup with the girl with yeah. the boots on the bicycle yeah and so here's the thing to make it even more disturbing so apparently Eddie Egan really did this. Oh. And what and he did like women with boots. That was a <laughs> thing that he liked. And that he would arrest them. And uh, yeah, there you go. And it was and what Sonny Russo describes it is as it was sort of a playful arrest. Sure. And that would lead to sex. Okay. But man, that's some weird That's a line you're walking, right? I but, don't understand. I, right. we, we we don't know what that no, is. No, in our society in two thousand seventeen would look at that and be like, No, that's incorrect. What you're yeah. doing is wrong, abuse of power. Blah, blah, blah. But back then, 
men of that time, men of that ilk, used well, those situations, thinking they were seducing women and whatever, and they enjoyed the joy. They enjoyed the aspect of that. Yeah, it's it's still it's not excusing it. It still might have been, very well have been abuse of power, and right, probably yeah, was absolutely. But it wasn't maybe perceived that way, right? In, as, as we with our more modern eyes would look at it. But right. it's pretty weird. And, and then we have the next scene where here comes uh, Cloudy, yeah. Roy Scheider to his door, knock, 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 yeah, and. Uh, he, I love the fact that he says, let yourself in, and he pulls out his little lock pick. Yeah. And he picks the lock, <laughs> and there's Popeye Doyle yeah. on the bed. Handcuffed. By his ankle. Yes. Naked, we assume. Right. Girl's still in the other room. Yeah. It is some weird stuff. Yeah. Well, this gives, and it gives you another element to this kind of guy, this kind of, the kind of person he is, right? Is this, this kind of situation he gets into and sleeping in the bar, meeting these women, having these one-night stands. Like, this is just his life, man. Because it, well, it's all about the job. Nothing else matters but the job. Well, and this is why I brought up the thing before about the, the code, the production yep. code. None of this can happen. Yeah, good point. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's a guy who abuses his power. Yep. He's a guy who is an alcoholic. He's a guy who's sleeping with women in yep. these very non-loving ways. Right. And, like, all of the stuff that makes up the character of Popeye, Popeye Doyle, which is one of the great characters, yeah. can't exist five years earlier yeah. in the film world. Right. Can't exist. Just won't happen. Yeah. Um, and now we're back on the job. Yep. So we see another little piece of what the plot is, which is that we're going to the scrapyard to pick up a car. Yes. That always that got me a little confused. I, okay. I, I think I think what it is is that's how they're going to ship the money back to yes. France? Yes. That's, is that what's going on? Yes, yes. Okay. They're picking the car. Because he switches cars... Uh, when they later on in the film, when they bring after they you know discovered the heroin in the car, they put it back in and they let him drive the car. Elaine Sharon is the I guess the name of the guy. They let him drive the car to the right. to the uh, body shop that's out in the middle of the woods, and then they switch cars. And the switched cars are the cars that they're using to bring back uh, the money to France. Uh -huh. And that's what they arrest him in, or or try to arrest him in. Uh, when he's pulling away with Tony Lobianco in the passenger seat, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay, it's a, it's because a, again, it's not spoon feeding no, you. So if you're not, so we know there's something going on. Yep. So the first, so the first thing they get is they get the rights to have a wire. Yes, and we're listening in, and it's a great scene where they're like playing cards. Yeah, and they finally get the French guy calling in, and the silliness and the giggliness. Yeah. is really fun to watch. The joy of it the all. The joy right? of like we've got them. Yeah, and that's what allows them to bring the feds in. Right, and then there's definitely some tension between. Right. Popeye and Cloudy and the feds. Right, because they, they petition for this money they or this time. They petition yeah. for the help. They petition to focus on each other. There's wiretaps, whatever they're trying to do. All of this stuff, manpower to try to catch this guy because they're starting because Popeye is starting to understand the size of the bust that we're right. talking about. Yeah, and 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 they definitely need some help. And I guess New York PD doesn't have the resources. Right, and so we go off and and we have this uh, following them. Which I really love, mm -hmm. and I, I think what they called it is it's a triangular follow or something okay. like that. Yeah, which is one person falls for a little while and then they move on and someone right. else picks it up. And again, it's this procedural thing. It's yeah. really fun to watch how they do this. Yeah, and how they get caught out doing it too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a great scene on the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, and uh, you know how they did that? No. So uh, Eddie Egan and Sonny Russo are, are on the film, right? And Eddie Egan and Sonny Russo, they know all the cops in. Uh, in New York. And so they just say, hey, we need to block off the Brooklyn Bridge. So with no permission, no permit, no anything, they just have some cops block off the Brooklyn Bridge for 20 minutes. And you just imagine, <laughs> this is the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is New York. Like the amount of traffic they caused right. with no permission or permits and they're just walking around and shooting it. And that's kind of how this movie went. Yeah. Too bad they didn't have Chris Christie back then. He could have yeah. just could have done it officially. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they worked on his campaign. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> 
And as we're doing this tale, this triangular tale, yeah. the people, they're just real New York people. Yes. We're not setting up lights. We're not, we're just shooting it documentary style right. in the world. Those cars that are going by are real cars. They're mm -hmm. not controlling the street. They're not, there's, you know, no safety precautions. It's, it is a run and gun kind of filmmaking. Yeah. And you can sense that as you're watching it, like these, what these real life extras, because they're yeah. like really walking through scenes and doing whatever. And you get that sense of New York, you get the realism of New York. And because that's what New York is known for. They're not known for making Absolutely. a big deal about anything. They're yeah. just, they just go on with their lives, whatever, you know? And it feels different. Yes. It feels real. It feels you know? documentary style yeah. almost. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I think there's definitely something lost when you have to cordon off a whole area, mm -hmm. populate it with extras, yeah. costume them appropriately. Yeah. And, organize exactly where they're going to walk when they're going to walk yeah it's you can't you cannot create this no you could create a beautiful scene but right. it won't be this yeah um and this ends with this sort of chase ends with uh uh our french guy what's his name again uh, uh elan Chiron. elan Chiron yeah goes into this restaurant yes eats a very french meal he does it is like escargot and french <laughs> onion soup and beef bourguignon and red you know it's like it's really as frenchy as you can get <laughs> As French as you can get. Which to me is like, if I go from the U.S. to go to France, I don't eat American food. I would want to eat French food. Yes, of course. But this guy, he is he's going to French it up. Yeah. And standing outside on what was both in the film and apparently in real life, yeah. the coldest day of the year wow. is Popeye Doyle. Yes. And he looks cold. Yeah. And apparently it is really cold. <laughs> Not a surprise, man. Um, and, and, and again, it goes to this procedural aspect. This is what the life of this cop is. Yeah. And there's no quit in Popeye Doyle. Nope. There, it never occurs to him like, uh, can someone else do this? Can right. I go home? He's like, I'm going to stay here and watch this guy. Right. So uh, we we start to see that we start to see a little bit more of the plot, which yeah. is we see some lab experiment where we test out the drugs. Yes. Apparently, they get very good heroin in France. Yeah, apparently, but don't know where. Maybe it's coming. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. Maybe it's coming from Vietnam. Yeah, probably. You know, because that's French Indochina in yeah. the early '60s, which is when this really took place. Right, the poppies and all that. Because out, I don't yeah. think they grow poppies in the south of France. I don't think so either. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not a drug dealer. So I wouldn't. Yeah. Know. Those of you, those of you out here are heroin addicts <laughs> or heroin and, drug dealers or, or, or drug dealers. If you Please. want to tweet us, yes, but they information on where in fact you do get the good heroin in france we'd be happy to yes know. and please tag your local police department yes exactly <laughs> i think it's a really good idea see we do a good thing for we, the community yes absolutely a service we provide <laughs> by the way yeah that's real heroin in that shot what apparently wow this is look this is what freaking says right by the way so i've heard him talk a fair amount I don't know that I believe him all the time. Well, of course not. Just like Wells, Orson Wells, you don't believe yeah. him half the time. I mean, I, I expect everybody exaggerates right. whenever they tell their story. They always right. make it a little. But I, Friedkin says some stuff that I kind of go, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, he, But he says that's real heroin. Okay. I don't understand the point of getting real heroin. Well, that's the 70s, man. People everybody wanted to be so real, wanted to dive into that realism. And I guess so. so. You know, I guess if there were, you're right. You're right. I'm the police chief. It's yeah, like, why, yeah. why would you do that? Just get some white powder. It doesn't matter. Like, what does it matter? Yeah, right. But no, that's real heroin. And, the, and what he says is, is that the test they're doing is the real test. Oh, wow. Um, and so it, turning that color, that yeah. is actually with mercury and what I forget what, how he said they right. do it. Yeah, and he's doing the value of the heroin. You know, that's a great little sequence when it's going all the, all way, the way up. up you yeah. know, it's so great to hear his comments as he goes, over there it's almost like he wants to say disco at the end so the next <laughs> so so the next thing that happens is that all the other cops except popeye doyle fuck up yep and the our frog number one which is what they call him yep. please excuse me for using that term to all the french people listening 
That's a good point. That is yeah, a derogatory that term. That is a derogatory term. For the French, yes. Our, our French gentleman yes. um, uh, Lee gets out of the hotel. Nobody sees. Right. And now before we had this triangular tail, now it's just Popeye Doyle on foot. I love this sequence. Right. It's so well done. And, and for a while, you're kind of going, does he know he's being tailed? And then it's like, Oh yes, yes. He knows he's being tailed. He's caught him twice because yeah. remember he caught him the night at that yeah. night when he tailed when he tailed him as well. So he catches him twice. It's so great, and and Fernando Rey is so fantastic in this part as Elaine Chanier. He's just so great with just the subtlety of everything he's doing. Because I think Fernando isn't he the guy who plays the Turkish guy in uh, in Lawrence of Arabia who does the uh, assault or the rape no, of Lawrence? No, that's that's not, a, oh, that's oh, that's Jose Ferrer. I'm sorry, Jose Ferrer. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So Fernando Rey was um, Cyrano de Bergerac. He won. No, that's Jose Ferrer. That's Jose Ferrer. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Those guys look so familiar to me. They do. They look really similar. Okay. He was in uh, like Boonwell films or something. Oh, um, that's right. Because that's how he got cast. It was, it was a by mistake. Mistake. Yeah. They wanted the other guy that was in uh, the film Belle du Jour. And, that's right. That's but the guy does not speak. Didn't speak English. Well, well so they actually. The they, 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 he said to this casting director, "Get the guy in Belle de Jour," yeah. and they sent him. They fly him out. This guy, and he goes, "That's the wrong guy." Yeah, but and then they find the other guy, and then they find out, yeah, he doesn't speak English. So it, it works out. Works out great. Yeah, it works out for Fernando Rey. Does two of these films. So. And the, and him going in and out of the subway. Yeah. And and just the. Oh and, yeah. And I love that they're both acting like they don't know that they're you know what's happening. Yes. They're both. I mean, it's so obvious that yeah. they know that you are chasing me and I am chasing you but they're right. pretending they're not and the final moment of the wave oh that was brilliant it's beautiful and it's so well acted like oh sorry guy yeah. it's so well done. and it gets called back later on in the in the film when they catch him too which is perfect as well yeah um we go off to washington yes and uh and that's the real sonny russo who's the guy uh, on the binoculars oh, in wow. washington that's okay. him the reason they were in washington was because the tales were happened. They were being tailed all over the place in New York, right? right. And they thought they go to Washington, they have this conversation. And we find out in that conversation between uh, Alain and the Tony Lobianco character that Tony wants to take some time, like to right. let the, the fuzz, that the heat die down a little bit. But Alain is is driven. No, we got to do this now because we got to get back to France. He wants to get back to his wife. He wants to get back to his life back there. He doesn't feel safe in New York. He doesn't. It's not as smooth as he was hoping. And then we get back on the plane. Mm -hmm. And I love, by the way. Some of the period things of you don't see a plane with seats like that yeah, yeah, where yeah. they're facing each other. Oh, one other period thing I was thinking about watching that is hats. Yes. Because I was thinking about it's like from the beginning of the 20th century until this moment, yeah. men wore hats. Yes. And from this moment forward, the early 70s, that's the end. Yeah. No young people wore hats. And all the time that we were going, you know, I don't know if your dad wore a hat. My dad didn't wear a hat. My dad almost never wore a hat. Yeah. yeah. But my grandfather, they, they wore hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only old guys that wore hats until <laughs> the last four or five years. Yeah. And now hats are back. Yeah, hats are back. But there was this 30-year period where like hats was just like an old-fashioned thing. Right, right. Um, and his hair was growing out. I, I get. Oh, yeah. maybe yeah, because yeah. the hippie Hippies generation. And all that and, kind of stuff, yeah, of course. yeah, it's 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 just interesting to see. And it was it's on this plane where we make the decision of we're going to kill Popeye Doyle. Right. Um, With his number one henchman who had killed the guy the at the guy beginning at the of the beginning. movie. Who's, uh, a, who's a good, scary assassin yes, type guy? Absolutely, and 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 Elaine, to his credit, Elaine does not want to kill Popeye Doyle. I think it's right. a good idea, but this guy says, "I can do it. I can snipe him. No problem. We'll get it done." Yeah, and 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 so from what I've read, much of this movie is very accurate mm -hmm. in terms of how it did. The yes. two things, two big things that aren't, is the time 
This this sting took yeah. over two years. Wow. Of work. And in the movie, it's much more compressed. Right. This is not surprising. Right. And there is no assassination attempt on Eddie Egan. Well, and no and no giant chase thing. They, they did chase each other a little bit, but nothing no like surprise. this. No surprise. And this, and, and you know, Popeye Dole's at a pretty low place at this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just lost the guy. The case is sort of falling apart. Mm-hmm. And then that sniper bullet kills a woman right in front of him. It's yeah. really scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And uh, he chases him on foot up through the stairway, yeah. finds the rifle. Um, back sees him down on the ground, back, and now we get the just tenaciousness yeah. of Popeye Doyle. Right. This guy is not going to quit. Nope. He is just going to keep... And one thing that occurred to me watching it this time, by the way, boy, people in movies sure can't sprint a long time. <laughs> well, the fact that he could run all the way up to the top of the building and then all the way back down, and he's still only maybe half a mile behind the guy is amazing right. to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like if... I mean... I can Look, see with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is an expert runner in films. Sure. Not, maybe not Gene Hackman. Sure, but even an Olympic runner, if they you yeah. sprint to 440... That's as far as anybody sprints. Yeah, you're going to get you know. And I was watching, Popeye Doyle does not take good care of himself. just a lot of liquor in there. Right? Yeah, and a lot of sleepless nights yes. and strength. Yeah, I mean, smokes and this is... Right. The, but he sprints after this guy. We end up at the elevated train. Yeah. Uh, gets on the wrong track. The guy gets on the train. And now we get to... We are going to commandeer a car yeah. and chase a train. Yeah. And this is arguably one of the greatest car chases of all time. Absolutely. It's still one people cite even to this day. Yeah. Yeah. It is so good and so emotionally Mm -hmm. full and so scary and Mm -hmm. feels so real. And part of that is because a lot of it is real. Yeah. Yeah, they'd only cordoned off like four blocks for it. And then they kept going past those four blocks and actually darting around real cars real people who were there, all of the, except for the baby with the mom, all that, most of it was not staged or coordinated and it was done right. by, done, and, and Freakin was in the back seat shooting this. He's in the back seat shooting. because right, all the other cameramen had wife and kids and he did not. And, and so this is where I don't entirely trust Freakin. Okay. What he says is they were going 90 miles an hour. What? I don't really believe they were yes. going 90 miles an hour. And he said none of it was controlled. And mm. Hackman says they were going 70, maybe up to, he said maybe up to 70 miles an hour. Right. And he said that it, that uh, Egan and Russo were, did have cops and they had a lot more of a control. Right. What Hackman says, one of the things they didn't control was they're, they, they're keeping new cars off the road. Right. But people who are in the houses, they don't know what's going on. Right. And so what happened was guy comes out, gets in his car, it's in the morning, yeah. pulls out. Hackman is driving the car and slams into him. It has a sounds like a pretty good accident. Yeah, it does. Pretty good accident. And I'm yeah. not sure if that one's on film. Um, yeah. And, and some of the other accidents are, are, are real things that happen. Yeah. Um, and what Friedkin says, whether whether it's as crazy as how he describes it, that he would never do it today and right. that it's totally irresponsible. And I really agree. Yes, I, I agree. I, I, there's, a, there's a quote uh, that I love from Bob Dylan that I think about often, which is, uh, it's actually, I first read it in Watchmen in mm-hmm. the comic book, but the quote is, in order to live outside the law, you must be honest. Oh. And I think about this all the and there's a lot of ways to interpret it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because that's what a good quote is. It's one that you go, what does he mean? <laughs> but the way I it's interpret like it yeah. is that if you, once you decide to not obey the rules of society, mm-hmm. then you are taking on the mantle of morality and care for other humans on yourself. Yes. Is that, so if you go, okay, I'm not going to permit this. Mm-hmm. Well, then... 
you've said you're not no longer let the rules of society protect your crew yeah. or the other people in the world. You are saying I'm going to protect them. Yeah. Because I have taken on this responsibility. Yeah. And and frequently what happens is people just go I'm going to do this cuz I want to do it. Right. And they don't think and and, and as you know, Freakin is a young guy and when you're a young person you just don't think that stuff's going to happen. Yeah. But Hackman could have been killed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the guy, some guy who just got in his car in the morning, he could have been killed. Right. And they came pretty damn close to doing it. Mm -hmm. And and the thing you learn, I think, is you live longer and as a filmmaker is that shit's going to happen. Yeah. And that you need to prepare for that. And, and the longer you do it, the more likely that shit's going to happen. Right. And that those are important responsibilities. Absolutely. Um, the chase scene is great. Yep. Super tense. Not a lick of no song. Nope. No theme song, nothing plays. It's all just the sounds of the chase and the sounds of the subway and the sound, you know, the guy kills the uh kills the, the cop, kills yeah. the cop and then shoots at the MTA worker and then the and then the person uh driving the train is actually a train, train driver. driver. Yeah, 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 because the guy that they had hired didn't show up on set that day. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. So they had to shoot it and that guy just volunteered to do it. So there he is acting out having essentially a heart attack or passing out right. on the and so that thing so all of that happens and it's really great to build the tension and drama of this guy, you know, this assassin that he's also determined to survive just as powerfully as Popeye is determined to catch him. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that makes the chase so strong yeah. is that they mount the camera on the front bumper of the car very low. Okay. And one of the things about it is when the lower you are, the closer to the ground you are, the more uh, the illusion of speed. Yes. And this is where I go, I don't necessarily believe you're going 90 miles an hour because right. you don't have to. Like if you think about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and him being dragged along the ground mm -hmm. and that camera's down, they're probably going 15, 18, 20 miles an hour. Not right. that fast. Right. But it seems like you're going really fast mm -hmm. because you're so close to the, so, so much detail of the ground is going by so quickly. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the key things. And if you look later on at Road Warrior and other chase films, you know, great stuff. They, they put that camera real close to the ground and yeah. that gives you that sense of speed and kinetic energy. And that, and that's part of what's making that chase scene. So in, in addition mm -hmm. to the fantastic performance from Gene Hackman yeah. in that of driving that car, his anger and his intensity and his fear and his, you could feel the adrenaline yeah. as he's driving that car. Right. You know, you can't separate. It's not just a series of stunts. It's, right. it's performance and story as well as right. combined with that series of stunts. The guy, the guy passes out so the brakes they can't hit the brakes on the train can't drive the train train slams into another train uh the guy gets off stumbles out and there's popeye who has been you know barreling up, down yeah. the street it shows up there at the bottom of the stairs and both of them are in the same condition because they're yeah. both exhaust because popeye had just had, had that axe that car accident he stumbles out of that car accident and he's there in the end and the guy sees him tries to run and popeye does he shoots him in the back how do you feel about that? The, I I don't mind it because of what happened beforehand. Right. But um, I love it for the shot that they use because that shot is now an iconic shot. It's been yeah. a film poster. It's a poster. Right, yeah, whatever. It's such a great shot. And him stumbling down is a great stunt as well because those are steel stairs you're stumbling down. that's a down. real guy. He really yeah. did that. Yeah. yeah, well, God love him because that, that looked scary dangerous, you <laughs> yeah. know? And so, but, so there we have this. I, this is the first chink in the armor for uh, Elaine Chenier's crew, right? right? He kills his number one hitman or number one guy. And so now they're getting closer. Yeah. You know, to the situation. I, I want to go, I just want to go back to shooting yep. in the back um, because it's a bold choice. And again, mm -hmm. we go to this sort of the production code and what was allowed to happen. And right. this is a very morally ambiguous choice. Uh, Sonny Russo and Eddie Egan hated it. Oh, really? Yeah. They're oh, like, okay. but then what Sonny Russo says later is it was great for the film. Yeah. And now I like it, yeah. you know, but it is like, oh, he shot him in the back. Yeah. And the 
your ability to reckon with the character of Popeye Doyle right. continues to be problematic. Yes. Like, how do I feel about this guy? I don't know. Well, and also because this guy shot a woman in the back himself, right? In this, in yeah. the, in, when he was snipe, sure. when he was trying to snipe uh, uh, Gene Hackman's character, Popeye Doyle, he snapped a woman in the back. So to me, it's it's a bring it full circle and point justice in that way. Yeah. So we managed to actually get the car. Yeah. Um, and we're going to take it apart. And the mechanic in the scene yeah. is the mechanic that actually took apart the car. He's the real guy. Irving is his How name. Funny. And he is the guy who originally took apart that yeah, car. That's just the great. guy. Irving. Irving. Yeah. Uh, and the, again, you see that obsessive mm -hmm. Popeye Doyle knows he's right. Right. And will not quit. But he is not proven right until Russo compares the weight. That's right. Which is Good uh, which point. I think is a great moment because you can be as pigheaded as you want. But if you don't have the knowledge or the facts or the uh, uh, information that you need to back up this pigheadedness, then you're just being a jerk or a dick. And what Russo allows him in this moment is he validates Popeye Doyle's ag aggressive desire to get to the truth. He p validates Popeye's like instinct that he knows there's something right. in this yep. car somewhere. Yep. There's something. Because he and, believes in him. Right. He believes right. in his partner and right. loves him. And loves him. Yeah. And so comparing the weight manifest, he's like, oh, wait. this, And then they find it in the running panels. The or rocker panels. The rocker panels. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is great because it's a yeah. like perfect place to put it. And I love the sound of, whoop, whoop. I love that. Yep. And then the yep. taking out the foam. And then you find these green, light green and light blue packets of heroin. Right. Yeah. Which is what I always keep my heroin in. Yes, of course. Um, and then uh, it's so funny when the the car's been towed and our actor guy is going, no, yeah. I need to get my car. And it's like, no, you can't have it. You can't have it. Oh, here's your car. You're right. You probably should go like, hey, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> they drive off. And I have to say, our FBI guy and cop guy's plans at the final drug deal, yeah. it seemed to me like you could have come up with a better plan. Yeah, probably. Because they just the drug deal happens and then he's driving away and comes over this bridge yeah. and comes down and there's them blocking off the thing. Yeah. But they really haven't controlled the maybe they didn't have the resources or something. Right, but, right, right. Because now we they turn around and now we have a big huge gun. Yeah, battle. why wouldn't they be waiting already? Exactly. You're following by, the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. I right. mean, I guess, you know, today we have helicopters sure, and all this sure. other stuff. Well, they had helicopters they had back hel then. They had helicopters, but I don't know how many policemen True. how many police copters they had. True. And, you know, they didn't have obviously the radios and bugs and GPS and all the stuff we'd have today. Right, right. But still it's like this doesn't seem like a great plan. Yeah. Um, because we end up in a big gunfight. Well, I mean, we get the wave. From Gene Hackman, True. which is yeah. Popeye which Doyle, is which great. is a great little yeah. callback. Gets the wave. Then they storm back. Oh, they drive back off. They catch, they catch all these guys. They shoot Tony Lobianco's character. Uh, Roy Shatter kills him. Yeah, we, yeah, we run into this uh, warehouse, and, and really all these creepy, guys come out. Disturbing sort of location. Yeah. Uh, so bad lighting, hard to see, yep. kind of like falling apart place. Right. Uh, which probably has now been uh, regentrified in New York, and it's like a live, work, art space <laughs> worth millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah, love space. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, and then we have Gene Hackman again, obsessively. I know this guy's in here. I'm yeah. gonna find him. And who does he kill? The FBI guy. He's yeah. And how much regret does Popeye Doyle have at this moment? Zero. Zero. Because he reloads his gun, and he goes, "I know he's here. I know he's here." He doesn't go, "Oh fuck, I killed an innocent right. guy." Right. Like, and this is, this to me is the most morally difficult moment in the, mm -hmm. it's not the shooting in the back. It's this moment of like, oh, I agree. This guy's like a sociopath. Right. You know, um, really difficult. And then he goes into a room and we hear a gunshot. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And I was, that's why this movie always stayed with me because I, my heart broke for him as a kid that he killed the FBI guy because it's not the guy he was trying to go after. 
And then he goes into the situation and we go, you hear the gunshot, black frame. And then you see, uh, this guy was arrested, right. this guy, four years, blah, blah, blah. And the guy was never, and the and right. he disappeared, was never seen again, or was never caught. But in truth, he was caught again. He was caught and did. No, no, no. This guy was no. never caught? No, he went back to France. Oh. And, and there was supposed to be like an extradition yeah. treaty, but they never sent him back because oh, wow. he's a hero and buddies with Charles de Gaulle. Right. He just went into hiding. Okay. Yeah. No, he never got, my okay. understanding is he never got caught. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of. Because the movie's not spoon feeding, you're sort yeah. of in this observation mode right. throughout, and you're you're kind of struggling with how to feel about things. Yes. That it uh, at the end you kind of are left with, huh? Yeah. What do I what do I do with this? Yeah, but I love that because yeah. that's the film. That's the kind of films you get to get, get away with in the seventies, and you really can't now. It's really rare. Very rare. Films that you indie films will do it a little bit, right? Indie but, films, but, right. but studio. But films even those like don't do it as often as they used to before. And so I love the ambiguous nature of 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 certain films that end that way because it leaves you with a lot of questions and what we can do now talking about it on the show like we can discuss it what we thought right. what was the point of that and what what they got out of that you don't know who shot who you don't know who was killed blah 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 and obviously later on you know they got reassigned and this guy was never found so no one was really shot or killed it just the idea of the gunshot into the black frame leaves you with this not this feeling of like well what happened we don't know what happened well and i think one of the things the movie makes you think about is there's no question that the bad guys are bad guys. Right. That's clear. Yeah. And the, but the question is, what is necessary to fight the bad guys? Yeah, yeah. Can we be just good guys and still get the bad guys? Right. And if we have to be, if we have to move outside the law, yeah. what level is okay? Yeah. And, and who is carrying the mantle or making those decisions of what level is okay? Right. And can we trust them? Yeah. Can we trust Popeye Doyle? There's no question that he cares about being a cop and right. he wants, he's obsessively wants to get the bad guys. Right. But there's a lot of question about what is the damage of his methods yeah. throughout this film? Yeah. You know, when he's rousting out that bar or when he's using some of the language he's using or picking up the women he's picking up and it's like, yeah. I don't trust him. Yeah. Because, and what we say at the beginning, it's like, you know, we, is that he has these hunches yeah. and sometimes those hunches are wrong. And what's the damage of that? Right. And I don't, I don't know the answer. Well, that's what I thought was great about the film is they have that uh, FBI or the police chief guy that comes in and is like, you or yeah, you cost me a man. You killed a policeman with one of your hunches or instincts. You're not always right, are you? And then he's like, when they're riding in the car, he is just riding uh, uh, Popeye Doyle to pieces, almost yeah. to the point where they and they almost get into a physical altercation yeah. at the car accident scene as well. Yeah. You know, so there's so much tension there, and it's great to have another person in the film who's just as powerful as Popeye taking Popeye down a peg every time he confronts right. him. And it lets you know, like, this guy is not someone you should revere, you know? Right. And that's the thing that Popeye Dole said about when he did Joe. Uh, the reason he didn't want to do Gene ha the, the French Connection is because he didn't like this guy. Right. And when he did Joe, he thought people were going to cheer against this guy, and, and they were cheering for him to carry mm. out the stuff that he was doing in that film, which, which was... Uh, very morally ambiguous and uncomfortable to watch, especially now in 2017. But in Joe, or in, or in Joe, in, in Joe. And I've never so, seen it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting because it's basically like falling down with Michael Douglas. Like, oh yeah, he because he rebels against society and he starts to kill like black people and kill these other people. Like, he gets too far in the vigilante vigilante aspect right. and it becomes racist racist and it becomes um, misogynist it becomes this kind of thing and he thought he was playing a bad character and people were cheering in the audience and he huh. said when he saw that he didn't want to play another character that was morally ambiguous that people would like and so that's why he turned it down 
Yeah. And so, and yes, he did want to do the romantic leads, but that was also part of it too. Yeah. And so you have someone with Popeye Doyle, who is a very difficult guy to, especially in 2017, going back and rewatching the film, it's very difficult to cheer for this guy. And it's only for the force of Gene Hackman's personality and talent as an actor and charisma as an actor that you are on board with this guy and follow the sequence all the way to the end because he does sacrifice a lot of people, including innocent yeah. civilians' lives, uh, for uh, just to catch this guy and make right. a, a drug bust. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's funny. I said before that I don't know where I come down on this. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah? I do know where I come down Two on way, this. Okay, where do you come yeah, down? Yeah, is that, is that I believe that there's a huge responsibility in the people that carry the mantle of the rule of law. Yeah. And that it's more important to maintain the rule of law, that we are a nation of laws, not mm-hmm. men. You know, it's what we talked about. We talked about Touch of Evil. Yeah. We talked about this in LA Confidential. Yeah. Is in the end that individual humans shouldn't be trusted with because of their bias because of their emotional state Mm -hmm. is that we need to fall back on the law and it's better to let a few criminals go in my opinion than to violate the sanctity of our legal system that is that is what i think either way it's your it's your feeling to do the exchange because do you arrest innocent people or do you let a few criminals go it whatever side of the fence you're on there is a cost no question about it our country very clearly yeah sides on the better to let a few criminals go yeah. because that is why we have the doctrine of innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. That is that is that lack of self-incrimination, mm-hmm. you know, raw laws about illegal search and seizure. Right. They're all there knowing that that's going to make it harder to get some criminals, but it's better to protect the rights of the individual. Exactly. And hey, these are things we're facing today in yep. terms of immigration and refugees mm-hmm. and homeland security and privacy right. and, you know, the government wiretapping and all those things yeah. are, are, are and they're really, really hard issues. I don't want to make this seem right, like right, these right. are easy this is really hard yeah um so the just to finish up the yep. movie goes on to win i think four oscars yes. best picture director best actor mm-hmm. maybe best editor i think yes um and i i think this is a huge influence on film moving forward it's yeah it's just huge yep i think it like kicks the door open in a way of saying we don't have to make films the way you thought we had to make films right. we don't have to have characters the way you thought we had to have characters this can be different yeah and it launches freakin he's one of these directors who has a mini run yeah. of great films and then is never able to repeat that success again. Ends up Mary Sherry Lansing right. from uh, Paramount Pictures yeah. and just establishes himself as this kind of like guru of directors, right? right? He ends up teaching at universities, what have you. Gene Hackman explodes off of this film, yeah. done numerous things after and still and still someone that people want to bring back because he's retired from acting. Yeah. Everybody wants him to come back and he he just will not come back. He's so very weird. adamant about that. The yeah. only one I know of that really just really Sean retired. Sean did the same thing. Sean Connery did yeah. right after League of Extraordinary General. Like, That's it. I'm done. Yeah. And some guys just, just they just don't want to be on the set anymore, man. Well, they, it's not, no always, not really a fun place. No, I mean, Sets can be a really rough place. <laughs> yes, they can. So John, what are your final thoughts? Uh, this is a fantastic film to revisit, uh, and it does ask questions of your morality, your approach and point of view about the police, about anti-heroes. It's a gritty, realistic film that um, really explores the underbelly of this uh, supposedly hero cop, quote-unquote, and and it you wonder, and I think it's a great plot that asks a lot of you as a viewer like right. to pay attention, to focus. It does not, as Steve said earlier, it does not spoon feed you because it it, it respects your intelligence as a viewer and as a as a uh, uh, consumer of film. And so you're like, okay, I've got to understand this, put these things together, and there's no uh, moment of respite except for the girl with the boots and the bike. Other than right. that, there is no respite in this film. It is a it it is the entire film is that action sequence it, from the beginning. It is barreling towards the end of that car accident to jump out and yeah. shoot the dude in the back. The entire film is like that, you know. 
So, and I enjoy the hell out of it. And Gene Hackman, Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider, who does not get enough credit, right. does not get enough love. And if you want to see another film like this, watch The Seven Ups that Roy Scheider is the lead in. I've never seen that either. Which is great. Yeah. I love The Seven Ups to pieces. And Tony Lobianco is in that as well. Oh. And so you, these are these 70s films that, are, that explore this stuff is so fun to go back and, and, and enjoy again. And Roy Scheider doesn't get enough credit for the stuff that he did. He is just as powerful and just as effective as Gene Hackman. And I think Fernando Ray is the perfect villain in this film. He's great. So, yeah. Um, for me, it's funny because I had to split myself into two mm. for this. So as a as a lover of film and a film history and film technique and the craft and the art of filmmaking, I find this an endlessly fascinating film mm -hmm. as appreciation of how it was made, uh, how different it is from movies that have come before, yeah. how important it is in the history of film in terms of a turning point yeah. of the construction of the chase sequence and what that did to action movies throughout history. Right. Really, really important, and I can dig into it as sort of a scholar of film. Mm -hmm. But as a movie I love to watch, it's not a movie I love to watch. Okay. And I don't, I, I don't have a, you know, this is the thing is that you're all going to have your favorite films, right. you know, and this isn't one of mine. Okay. And I probably won't watch it again for another 10 or 15 years, okay. you know, and then I'll revisit it again. <laughs> My guess is I'll have the same reaction. Um, and so that, that's what we think mm -hmm. about uh, The French Connection. We would love to hear what you think, particularly if you haven't seen this one before. It's a really interesting film. Mm -hmm. uh, you can always reach us on our Facebook page. That's at The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, and we think you should, because there are a lot of great <laughs> movies in here that you haven't seen, or maybe you want to revisit, and yeah. there's a bunch of great movies coming along. And if you don't subscribe you might miss your favorite film coming on the cinephiles yeah. and while you're there i think you got an extra moment i think you can go hit that review button you can hit five stars you can write something nice about john you can write something terrible about me no i don't care as long as you hit five stars and say something nice about john i'll be happy. stop it please, <laughs> please say something nice about steve as well all right you say something all right fine <laughs> <laughs> I, I acquiesce. You could say something nice about both of us. Um, if you're on Stitcher, just remember no dash, Cine files, no dash. Um, uh, you could always reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can you reach you? Oh, guys, you can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And also go to our YouTube page. Oh, that's right. Of course, right. Our YouTube we have page. a YouTube page now where you can go. And if you don't have, don't download podcasts, don't like to listen to podcasts, you'd rather put this on while you're cleaning the apartment or your house or you're just hanging around in your place or hanging out a library and you just want to listen to it and put it on your phones there you go you can put it on you can watch it on YouTube all our episodes now I think are on the YouTube up, yeah. so you can you can go and just download and go back and explore them and, and please leave us comments there because we will start looking at that more and more and yep. commenting back and, and what have you so we love that thanks so much for all the time you give to us all the comments you leave we are such massive fans of you as much as you are massive fans of us and uh, we'll be releasing even more uh, information coming down the pike about what we're doing with the show yeah all sorts of exciting things happening mm -hmm. um and uh thanks again that's it for this week we will see you next time on the cinephiles what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co